First Peter chapter two again, please. First Peter chapter two. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Verse nine, but ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvellous light. Which in time past were not a people, but now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Father, even as we have been singing over the mountains and the sea, your river runs with love for me. And I will open up my heart and let the healer set me free. We pray, Lord, this evening that as we open our hearts to your word, that your river of life would flow freely through every soul. Lord, souls that need refreshed, souls that need burdens lifted, circumstances changed, lives touched, bodies healed. We pray, Lord, that you would flow through us, every single one, that there would be not one who would leave this house this evening without experiencing the presence, the person, and the power of the Holy Ghost. So, Lord, take a dealing with all of us. And I pray, Lord, that your Son would be glorified, that his name would be upon our lips, and his name would be exalted in our hearts, and that he would be glorified. Christ and Christ alone. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for your presence in our midst, for your faithfulness to your people. And I glorify your name, we pray. For Jesus' name's sake, we ask it. Amen. I feel this evening that God's great and glorious gospel may eventually be coming to the end and we're looking at other options, whatever the Lord will lead us in in the weeks that lie ahead and as well. We have looked at how Israel have been separated into two kingdoms. Ten tribes in the north with their capital city is called Samaria. Two tribes in the south and their capital city is Jerusalem. Two lines of kings come out, but only one is called of God. That is the kings which come from Judah who are in Jerusalem. And over a period of time, we actually find out. In fact, it's the first time you hear of the word Jew mentioned coming from the tribe of Judah. The name that is a derivative name from it. And the first time you'll hear it mentioned is in 1 Kings chapter 16. Around verse 6, if my memory serves me well. And you'll find that they're fighting and they're warring against Israel. Okay? They're warring, warring against the northern kingdom. They're warring against their brethren. And it stops for a while and you can read it when you go home. 
The thing about it is, is we have looked at how they had come under uh, false idolatrous worship. They had allowed everything and anything to go in their land. And the king of Samaria, the lines of kings known as the house of Israel, uh, they had uh, Ahab, for example, was one of their kings, and a Zidonian witch of a wife. I say that because that's what she was. It's not me being vulgar. She was a witch. And he married Jezebel. That was his wife. That's uh, uh, That would be, if you want, the standard of the kings of the house of Israel. And virtually every one of them were evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord being great in mercy. And the Lord being long-suffering. And the Lord being great in compassion. And the Lord loving them. Sent prophet after prophet after prophet. Telling them to turn from their wicked ways and to turn to him who loves them. In fact, he's called their husband. And later we find that when he casts them out of the land, he divorces them. Asking Judah, where is the bill of your mother's divorcement? Speaking of, where is the bill of divorce? I divorced the house of Israel, but not the house of Judah. Now I notice this. Because of their idolatry, because of their spiritual adultery, prophets like Elijah and Elisha, Amos, when you read them, you'll find that they're sent into the king uh, king of Israel and to the house of Israel to prophesy against their sin. And then you find also that Hosea, and we have used Hosea quite extensively in these studies. The book of Hosea is a masterpiece of the Holy Ghost. The book of Hosea, if you read it and you get to understand it, the book of Hosea will open time. It will open history. It will open the gospel to you. It will open identity to you. It will open things that you've never seen before because Hosea is a key book for every one of us to read. Hosea represents Yahweh, Almighty God. And the house of Israel are represented by Gomer, his wife. We've told you this over the weeks. And of course, she becomes uh, an harlot. And he mar- she marries Gomer or, Gomer, or Gomer marries Hosea. And then, of course, she goes out of the family home and into the slave market, as it were, into uh, the old lifestyle. She becomes, as it were, lost to Hosea. And the Lord says to Hosea, go and get her again to be thy wife. And Hosea goes out to get her again. And he finds her and he buys her. He pays money at the slave market for her to bring her back, to forgive her, to cleanse her, to bring her back to his home and to be married, as it were, unto her. And the Lord says, that's how I am. With the house of Israel. So they are scattered, put out of the house. When you read um, the Song of Solomon, you'll find that the, the Shulamite girl is in the field and she's dirty. Uh, she is rough and ragged looking. She's beautiful, but yet tarnished. And she's sort of lost to who she really is because she's been looking after everyone else's vineyard, but knew not herself who she was. 
In other words, she had become, her skin had become wizened and blackened by the sun. Her, her, the dirt upon her made her unattractive and it made her seem like no one and nothing, wanted by nobody and unloved. Until one day, Solomon comes, skipping upon the hills and leaping upon the mountain, she says, as she sings the song of Solomon, Behold, my beloved cometh, coming, skipping upon the hills and leaping upon the mountains. And here she sees him come up and he stretches, as it were, his hand down to her. Her who no one would know about, no, no one would care about. And he, he reaches down his hand and he says, Rise up, my love, my fair one, and, and come away. We sang even uh, the words tonight. And he brought us into his banqueting house. And his banner over me is love. Here again is a picture of Israel tarnished by the world. Cast aside and almost unknown and lost. Solomon is a type of the great king, the Lord Jesus Christ. Who comes and reaches every one of us in our sin. Reaches down his hand and he says, rise up my love my fair one, and come away. He sees past the dirt. He sees past the wizened up, shrunken, as it were, skin, the sunburn, the blackened tarnishness of what she had become. And he sees what he will make her when he brings her to him. Later she says, I am as the tents of Kedar, as the curtains of Solomon. In other words, the tents of Kedar were travelers who used the tents. And when they used these tents, they started off a white color of canvas, if you want. And they became tarnished with the sun and with the dust and with the sand in the desert. They became dirty. They became torn after use. They were stitched. They were put together. And you know, they just become generally old and worn looking. And she looks as she has been redeemed. And she looks as she has been cleansed. And she looks as she has been clothed in royal apparel. And as she looks, she is in the great palace at the king's table, feasting of the king's dainties. Her who was in the field, tarnished, dirty, lost, unloved and unwanted. And now she finds herself loved by the great king cleansed and clothed in her right mind and feasting on his table. I am my beloved's and my beloved is mine, she cries. And as she looks in the palace, she says, I am as the tents of Kedar. That's who I was. And the glorious curtains of splendor and beauty and color hanging down from the great palace of Solomon. She says, but now, I am as the curtains of Solomon. Brothers and sisters who have been washed in the blood of the Lamb, who have come to know the great Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, has he not come and lifted us from the dunghill to set us among princes that we may inherit the throne of his glory? Has he not come and washed us in his, in his own blood? Has he not come and he has taken us and he has clothed us in his righteousness and his purity? 
Has he not brought us into his family and into his fold? Are we not adopted through the Spirit? Has he not brought us in and he's let us feast at his table and drink from his cup? Do we not say to ourselves without Christ, I am as the, 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 the tents of Kedar. But oh, when I see who I am in him because of him and all that he has done, I am as the curtains of Solomon. Oh, such a glorious redemption is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here we have Israel, the northern kingdom, were cast out. There are different deportations after years of war and carrying away of people and taking them captive. And it finishes around 721 BC. Judah are still there. Jerusalem and the kings, like Jehoshaphat and so on. The good kings, Hezekiah, are still there. There are some bad kings also. And the Lord carries them away. And we have looked at it. They've went up through the Caucasus Mountains. They've been scattered to the west and they've been lost and I'd put it as it were in brackets gentilized because they don't know themselves. They're like the, the Shulamite in the, in the dirt of the, of the world. They, they, they're, they're, like, they're like Hosea's wife Gomer who goes into the slave market, goes into the place where God had never prepared for them. Goes, it's cast out of the home like Gomer was. But the God's great and glorious gospel in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, this wonderful gospel of grace that we have received, he came and bled and died for us that we would be redeemed from that world, that we would be taken from our sin, that we would be washed in the blood of the Lamb, that we would hear the word of God and be saved. He came that we would be as not the tents of Kedar, but the curtains of Solomon. And here he sends this word out, through his apostles in the early church and it catches fire as it were across right into the islands north and west of Palestine right into our coasts. We're told that the Lord reaches many for his glory. The prodigal son represents the house of Israel. We looked at it and he's away in the pig pens. Can you see the picture for me? And he says, I will arise and go to my father's house. That's when the, the sinner, but that's when the people stand up and say, you know, I, 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 this is not my inheritance. This is not what God would have for me. You see, we're in darkness, spiritual darkness. And then God shines his light of the gospel and we walk in that light. And we're told that uh, the, the prodigal son came and the father welcomed him with open arms. And we can only do that also through the moving of the Holy Ghost. Stay with me. I want to show you something. If you'd like to turn with me to the book of Hosea chapter 2. Daniel Hosea, just to help you find it. Hosea chapter 2, please. Notice what the Lord says here. Notice what the Lord says. Chapter 2, and let your eye run right down to verse 14. Therefore I will allure her and bring her into the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her. Speaking of the house of Israel, this is Hosea. I will allure her into the wilderness. This is the scattering. Then he says, I'll speak comfortably. The word comfortably means I'll speak to the heart. 
The gospel is the word to the heart. It means to speak to the inner man and the inner woman. The gospel is exactly that. To speak comfortably to the man, to the woman, to the mind, to the heart, to the understanding, to their inner parts, to their conscience, and to their seat of appetites. That's what God's saying. I will bring them out. And I'll speak the gospel unto them. Notice this, what the Lord also says. If you just want to let your eye run on down, please. The verse 23. I will sow her unto me in the earth. And I will have mercy upon her that will not obtain mercy. And I will say unto them which were not my people, Thou art my people, and they shall say, Thou art my God. And in First Peter chapter 2 in our reading, that's what he says. You have obtained mercy when there was no mercy. Peter says to these people, You have obtained mercy when there was no mercy. And friend, this is the mercy which you and I, we have all obtained. The Lord said also in Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse 16. I just want to get it and read it to you. So as I get it right. Jeremiah chapter 16 and verse 16. If you'd like to turn with me, you can. Bless the Lord. Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith the Lord, and they shall fish them. And I will send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. Notice this. They who are gentilized and lost, they're through, they're scattered. They're like grains of wheat or corn scattered in a direction. Remember, we showed you how this word, what this word scattered means. And he says, I will send fishers and I'll send hunters. Christ comes up the shore and sees Peter and Andrew and James and John. And he says, follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. That's him, for, that's him fulfilling this prophecy. And these men start to go out after the, the, the baptism of the Spirit. And they start to go out from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth. They were in darkness, literally. And there's darkness spiritually. And when you're in spiritual darkness, we find that a people, a person, or a nation will become, eventually become, down that slippery slope and into a place of fullness of darkness. We're about to have a referendum, or Britain is about to have a referendum, whether Scotland should stay in the Union or leave. And I want to tell you, this is the work of darkness. This is the work of darkness. God had joined our nation. God had joined us to be a blessing in the earth. And the works of darkness are now trying to divide our nation. To break it up, to make it a nothing in the earth. And the works of darkness are trying to bring Scotland away from the rest of the United Kingdom. Just like it was tried here for nearly 40 years. It's wickedness. It would mean at least going into Europe, which is the great beast system. A one world government, a new world order, and it's all in plan. Listen, socialism is communism. Let's not unmarry them one with another. 
And this socialist Scottish government, like the socialists of Sinn Féin and the SDLP for years, have tried to tear us away. First of all, under Popery, and now under Europe. And when the people here are sinning, and when the church is not standing, standing for the gospel, and when the church come under political correction, this nation will fall. Look at Britain. It's a shame and a disgrace around the world now. No longer great can we say. The British land has lost its teeth. And the Westminster government, well, all that government you think that had a backbone carved out of banana. There's no backbone in them at all. Do you know when they lost their backbone? After the brave men fought World War II and came home. Here we have a nation sliding into oblivion. And I'll tell you something. When the house of Israel started to slide into oblivion, they had political correctness. They all worshipped together. They all had other gods and temples. They all turned away from the, the one true living God of Israel. Whenever they, they, they had themselves together and they had all sorts of, of immorality manifesting in the nation. They had all sorts of homosexuality all over the place. I'll tell you what they had. They had godly what they thought was their God was worshipped through temple prostitutes. Even Paul writes about these things. And Paul says, a woman should not have her head shorn. In other words, don't shave her head. For many of them came from prostitution, saved by grace and washed in the blood. He says, let the women grow their hair. We have a problem. We have a problem in our national life. We have a problem in our ecclesiastical church life, but I'll tell you, we have a problem in many individual lives. But we've got good news for you. We have a big God. We have a great Savior. And he is more than able to meet your need. Notice this. Darkness spiritually will lead us into darkness physically. And that is what happened. Whenever they were cast away The Lord then, 120 or so later, cast away the house of Judah, for they didn't learn the lesson of the house of Israel, and he cast them out. I want you to remember that, because I'm going to show you some things and show you the gospel through the cryings of a man over the house of Judah, the southern kingdom, and over Jerusalem. I want to show you the cryings of this man. Let us read, if you would please, let's go to 1 Peter chapter 2. But ye are a chosen generation. Verse 9. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let me just show you something here. The Lord has called us out of darkness. The Lord has called you out of darkness, out from that world of a wilderness, out from the wilderness of sin, out from the feel little Shulamite of the dirt and grime. He has called us from the pig pen. 
brought us into his marvelous light. We see which we did not see. We understand that which we did not understand. The Lord has called us out. We are the ecclesia of God. That is where we get the word church. The ecclesia or ecclesia, some people like to pronounce it. It means you are the, the called out ones. And our mission is to go to our nation and call out many more. That through the preaching of the word of God, that through the witness and the testimony of miraculous power of the Lord Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, that through the giving of your life, that is the living life, that you may lay it down, that others may see Christ in you. You and I are to be witnesses unto the nation. Christ's hands and Christ's feet. Notice this now. We are called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Last week, if you remember, we looked at the blackness of darkness forever. Place where angels would be cast or are cast and reserved. We looked at the darkness which came upon Egypt that could be felt. The darkness, basically, that people could feel it. It was so dark. I told you about the Alwi cave where when they turned the light out, we were under the mountain. And when they turned it out, it was pure darkness. There was no light filtering at all. And you lost the sense of direction. You didn't know whether you were coming or going. It was a strange sensation. And yet this darkness, we're told, is the blackness of darkness forever. Here we have the Lord who shone his light in our darkness. And the Lord who shone his light in our darkness that we would come out for him. See the word here, called you out. Called you out. It's a word called, here's the word, kelio. And it means to call aloud. To call by name. The word out here is the little word, ek. Now let me just, uh, let me just give you a little, uh, just a little sidelight on this. If I said to you, when you come to church on Sunday and you said, I'm coming, and you come to the door of the church and you get to the door and you put a foot at the outskirts of the door and you turned around and walked back out the car park and went home. And I said to you, I thought you were coming to church. You would say, I did. That's apo. Apo in the Greek New Testament. But what you've done tonight is you've come out of your house and you've got into your car, you've walked down the street and you've come right in and you've sat down and participated right in the center, in the midst of it. That is in or out. God has called you out. You were right in. That's what it means. You were surrounded and you didn't even know it. You couldn't even see it. You didn't even realize it. You were called out from within. That's what it means. When Christ died, the word is not apple. He went to the edge of death. It means he went right into death. And he came out again. That when you and I go into death, should he tarry, that you and I will come back out again. That's the idea of it. He went right in, became victorious and came right out. When he went to the tomb, he went right in and they rolled a stone over the door and they sealed it and they set a watch, but he came out again. 
the word ach, out from within. And the idea here is you're in darkness and God came right into your darkness. Right in to the place where you were. Right into the center of your darkness. Your darkness may have manifested in deep dyed religion denominationalism. Your darkness may have centered and uh, and you've been right in the middle of worldliness and and and, and, uh, and for, uh, fornication and, and alcohol or drugs or, or or violence or whatever it may be. But the idea is that Christ came right into our world, right into our darkness, and He shone His light to them that sit in darkness. I'm getting excited. Sean, he brought us right out. Child of God, I have something to tell you. When you're trusting in Christ, you're no longer in darkness. He has brought you from within to without. You're a child of light. Here we have, he's called you out of darkness to where? And into his marvelous light. Theme. Thamaistos, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a big word. It's the word for marvelous, and it simply means extraordinary. It gives the idea of something passing human comprehension. That this light we walk in, it's the natural man and the natural woman cannot understand it. They look at us, they see flesh and blood. They see people who are not great sometimes and failures in many different ways. But they cannot grasp, hold off, neither can they understand the grace of God in our lives. That's what it means. And you and I are in something that's extraordinary, that's wonderful, that is marvelous light, passing all human comprehension. Yes, Christ sent the fishers. That gives the idea of going over sea. And the hunters gives the idea of over land. It says in the mountains, they'll seek them out as they go across. And his gospel was spread around the nations. Let me run quickly. Because I do want to get down to lamentations. Listen to what Peter says in First Peter two and nine that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Show forth is the word exangelo. You should tell. You should declare. You should publish. You should make him known by your praise and celebration. That's what it means. You and I, see when we're worshipping, you and I should be ready to kick our shoes off and and do the Pentecostal two-step. I'm telling you, you should. You and I should be ready to kick our shoes off and get up and down that aisle and praise God and celebrate him. Pastor, now you have to keep it dignified. Well, you can keep your dignity. I want his anointing. I want him to know, Lord, I am grateful to you. Do you know where it said, people say you shouldn't clap your hands in church? I want to tell you something. It says at his return, the trees of the fields will clap their hands. See, the trees, that's not real trees. Trees don't have hands of branches. They're waving anyway at them. 
It means the nations of the earth shall clap their hands before him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and men and women will praise the Lord with gladness. But those who know not Christ, who are not his sheep, they will find eternal punishment. What a day. What a day. Let me move quickly. We are to show the praises of him. You know what the word praises is? It's a word that means excellencies. How excellent he is, let everybody know. How gracious he is. That's the idea of the praise means gracious dealings with us. Brother, has God been gracious to you? Sister, has God been gracious to you? Whenever you failed him, is he gracious to you? When you were weary, was he gracious to you? When you let him down, was he gracious to you? When you fell, was he gracious to you? When you felt like you were worthless, was he gracious to you? Was he full of grace and truth? Then it says, celebrate and publish it and sing and shout it forth. That's the idea. Oh Lord, give us no fan-sitting, mealy-mouthed Christians in Donoclone. Father, make us a people of praise for you. Make us a people that will glorify your name in all the earth. Notice this. It means to show his glorious attributes. His attributes are things like love. We sang it tonight. What about his love? Show people how much he loves you and how much he loves them. What about showing people uh, his power? How do you do that? Pray and trust God for what will happen. Turn with me to the book of Lamentations, please. Your attention is marvelous. Time is flowing almost. And we want to just, I want to show you this because I feel it's, I feel it's just a wonderful portion of scripture. Lamentations chapter 3, please, beginning to read a verse 1. I am the man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me he has turned. He turneth his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath builded against me and compassed me with gall and travail. He hath set me in dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath digged, he hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. This man, Jeremiah, the weeping prophet, now sees the southern kingdom of Judah, now eventually after years of warning, being taken away, and now Jerusalem has eventually gone into captivity. Oh, He cries for the lost and his heart is burdened for his people and he's lamenting over the city and he's lamenting over the people and he feels it for the people. In other words, his heart, 
his heart is grieved and hurt because of what they're going through. And he's going, oh, if they had have listened, Lord. But now he feels the personal touch of it. This is a type. This is almost, as it were, prophetical type of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me show you. First chapter 3, verse 1. I am a man that hath seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 12 as as he's looking over from the hillside seeing uh, many Judahites being taken away with a hook in their jaw rammed up through and right out their very tongue and pulled across into Babylon. Sees many of caught by the cheeks and being pulled along and beaten and whipped and murdered on the spot. As he sees them carried, he says, Oh God, if they had have listened to the warnings that you gave us. He says, That affliction is in my bones. I am a man that has seen affliction, but in Lamentations chapter 1 and verse 12, listen to what he says. Is it nothing to you, all ye who pass by? Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me in the day of his fierce anger. In other words, he's saying, look at me. Is it nothing to you? Here is a picture of Christ hanging on a cross and he says, look at my son, the father Christ. Look at me. Is it nothing to you? What does the cross mean to you? What does it mean? Is it just another religious thing? Nothing to you all you that pass by. It's believed that many would pass that way into Jerusalem. Especially a Passover where the lambs would be. Now here is the Son of God, a Passover. Hanging in shame, our shame on a cross. And the way it reads is, is it nothing to you all you pass by? And the Hebrew it reads, is it nothing to you all you who pass by the way? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me, said Jesus. Behold and see if there be any sorrow like unto my sorrow, which is done unto me, wherewith the Lord hath afflicted me, or the Father has afflicted the Son, Yahweh has afflicted his only begotten. In the day of his fierce anger. Here on the cross of Calvary, the Lord Jesus was afflicted with the, the wrath of God's fierce anger upon the people who were sinning before him with your sin and mine. Isaiah 53 and verse 4 says, Surely hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken of God and afflicted. Yet he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And Yahweh, the Father, hath laid on him, Jesus, Yahshua, his son, the iniquity of us all. 
And then Isaiah 53 and 10, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him and he hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. So here he cries, I'm a man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. Brothers and sisters, I want to let you know that the affliction of the rod of God's wrath was upon you and was upon me. And it was upon the world. But Jesus took it all. He took it for you. Listen to this. John chapter 3 and verse 36. He believeth on the Son of everlasting life. He that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. And the idea is that God is holding back his wrath for the Christ rejecter. God is holding back his wrath. God is love. That's his attribute. We praise him. We publish it. But God has wrath. And he's holding it back in mercy. Romans 2 and 5. But after that the hardness and impenitent heart treasurest up to thyself wrath against the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Notice what it says here in Lamentations again. Chapter 3. Let's just run down for time's sake. We'll do something. Let's go to verse 2 quickly. Verse 2. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Now here he's taken us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. But here uh, we're told that he has led him into darkness and not into light. In Mark chapter 15 and verse 33 it says, When the sixth hour was come, There was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. In other words, Jesus went into darkness to overcome the darkness that we who were in darkness might be overcomers in light. But those who refuse him are led into darkness. In other words, their own sin brings them into the darkness. John chapter 1 and verse 5. And the light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness comprehended it not. You know what it means? Remember I told you about the darkness? And darkness was over all the earth. That means there was no sun, there was no stars. It was that total darkness that confuses you. The earth was in total darkness. Tohu wabuhu which means topsy-turvy, upside-down, knocked-off axis, neither here nor there, and the earth was just spinning mass. Oh, such was Israel. Such were you and I. Such is a man and woman outside of Christ. But the light shineth in the darkness. And the darkness cannot overcome the light. It cannot comprehend this marvelous light. Do you know darkness only exists in the absence of light? Did you know? Darkness only exists in the absence of light. There's only darkness in our nation when the church has lost its light. There's darkness in a family home when the Christian is afraid to stand and tell people the gospel. 
But once you start standing, oh, the darkness may surround you, but the light will overcome. Turn off the light and the darkness is here. But in the midst of darkness, that's expelled by the light. You know, I've got to stop there. There's so much more here. Well, I'll do one more week. One more. And we'll do, I'll be 12 weeks on that. We'll do one more in the Lord's will. And then we'll look at something different. So much more here. Talks about, he has heads me in and talks about he has sat me in hewn stone. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? The Lord will show us next week. God bless you all.